Amen. Thanks so much, Finn. Good luck. To be honest, I thought you were going to ask me about the football team that I supported, and I thought everyone was going to boo me for supporting Liverpool. Um, but you know what? It's going to be a great season. There we go. <laughs> I knew it was coming. <laughs> um, <clears throat> does anyone remember that scene from Shrek, where um, Shrek says to Donkey, um, uh, ogres are like onions, and, um, uh, and then Shrek says... Uh, uh, Donkey says, oh, why are they like onions? And Shrek says, because onions have layers. I'm not going to do the voice because that's rubbish. And Donkey's like, oh, but cakes have layers. Um, or parfait. You, you're looking at me like you've never seen Shrek before, which really is gutting, honestly. Um, this is a crazy, crazy subject that we're going to talk about this week. Eternity. Who has actually ever thought about eternity before? Yeah, just just about as many of you who have seen Shrek. <laughs> um, keep participating. Audience participation is, is really good and really encouraging for me. Um, so this is a crazy, crazy um, subject, isn't it? And just like ogres, it's got layers. Um, just like cakes, it's got layers. The best kind of cakes have got layers. The best kind of cakes got loads of layers. Um, so, we're going to do our best through this week to go through those layers. It's going to be a bit like peeling an onion. So, you kind of get off the first layer and then, oh my word, there's another one. And then you peel it down again and there's another one. And I'm going to be doing the talks in the evening, but then some of the other lovely leaders are going to be doing the morning talks as well. And so, hopefully, we're going to kind of like peel this onion in a way that's really helpful um, and thought-provoking for you, but also that really encourages you um, to live the life that God has called you. Uh, to live today um, and the rest of your life and forever. Boom. It's quite big. It may blow our minds, but we're in it together, right? Cool. Okay. Um, it's great to be um, here as well at Moncton Coombe in this very room. Um, I, I can remember being here as a downloader. Um, and some of the things that were said from the front, I was like, oh my word, that's amazing. Um, and really exciting and really pumped me for my faith. Other times I had no idea what was going on and I thought, wow, I have loads of questions. Do ask those questions. Ask your small group leader um, and use that small group time to go deep. Um, don't shy away from the, from the big questions. If we can't talk about the big things now and here, where can we talk about them? Your leaders are all ready and raring to go um, and, and chat to you about, about the big things this week. I know also that some of the things we're going to touch on on eternity um, could be um, quite sensitive, could be quite difficult and deep for us, particularly if some of us have um, experienced um, uh, death of a loved one or um, in some way talking about um, kind of forever or heaven is, is kind of like pressing a bruise. Um, so if that's you and, and if you feel like at some point through this week that, it, that it's just a bit overwhelming, all this stuff that we're talking about, again, please talk to your small group leader um, because they really want to care for you. They really want to help you to get the most out of this week. Um, and that might be uh, uh, having a, a kind of one-to-one -one chat with you and, and helping you through uh, step by step. That's our kind of like preface. Is that okay? You still, you're still with me. Okay, great. I want to tell you a story from a couple of years ago. I was um, on a family holiday in Namibia. A uh, bit, bit of a rogue choice, not going to lie. Um, we were doing a tour around Namibia in a 4x4. Sounds really cool, doesn't it? Um, 
again, getting nothing. <laughs> um, and uh, my dad really, really loves seals. I know, weird, right? Dads have weird obsessions. Um, my dad loves seals, and we knew that on this tour of Namibia, uh, that there was a seal colony at this place called Wolvis Bay. So we made an absolutely huge detour to spend an evening at Wolvis Bay um, to go and see the seal colony just for my dad. Cool. Okay, great. Sure. As we drove out, uh, onto it, the seal colony was kind of told, we were told that it was um, off this kind of sand spit. It was kind of going out of the town. Uh, it was kind of... Uh, it wasn't that like late in the afternoon, but there was literally no one else around. It was kind of like spooky and weird. Um, but we set out in our four by four uh, towards the seal colony um, because you know we want to honour dad. Um, a little dude uh, jumps out in the middle of the road and says, "I'll be your guide." Never seen him before. He's wearing a high vis, so naturally we trusted him. Weird again. He didn't just like go in a car ahead of us, he got into our car and uh, started directing my dad across this sand spit. We're doing like 60, 70 miles an hour across like really uneven sand. Um, it's really scary. Um, and, and for me and my mum and my brother who were all holding on for dear life in the back, I was absolutely sure that we were going to die, not going to lie. Um, I thought either uh, this dude is just taking us out into the middle of nowhere and he's going to steal all our stuff and uh, leave us, maybe kill us, maybe this is the end. Um, or um, we're going to be eaten by jackals because uh, <laughs> as we were driving down this sand spit, more and more jackals seemed to appear. I was like, I thought we were looking for seals, not jackals. Anyway... Lots of, lots of jackals. Now, just beginning, on the hillside, as we're tearing down this sand spit 60 miles an hour, um, appeared some, like, black dots on the horizon. Interesting. Okay, black dots begin to turn into seals. Okay, cool. Like, one, two, three, oh, nine, ten seals. Cool. Okay, this is starting to get interesting. Apart from, I haven't had a near-death experience in order to see ten seals. This is quite lame uh, at the beginning of the trip. We keep going, keep, I'm, I, was, I can't kind of, I feel like I can't really reenact how scary it was to go over this sand. Um, but as we keep tearing through the sand, uh, the 10 seals become like 50 seals, become like 100 seals, become like 500 seals. And I'm hoping that uh, you can see this. Um, this. This picture doesn't quite do justice, but we were absolutely surrounded by seals. There could have been like five, six, seven thousand seals around us. We got out of the car, um, went to say hello to them. Um, they're obviously, they're not really used to humans being around, so this is going to be my best still impression, just so you know. So you go over to them, and, um, and they're like, ar, 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 ar. Um, but slower than that, because they're fat and blubbery and awkward, aren't they? Seals. They're not, um, they're not beautiful animals. They're kind of... Um, well, yeah, they're ugly, aren't they? Um, but they kind of did their ar, 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 into the sea, where suddenly they're completely transformed, totally transformed from the fat, ugly, awkward, blubbery mess into beautiful, jumping, diving, um, I don't know, like radiating they look they just look like they're having fun don't they they were having a great time in the sea they were absolutely transformed by being in the water this is like a nerdy thing that as i was watching uh, the seals jumping around in the sea 
I was reminded of this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, If I find within myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only explanation is that I was made for another world. And as I watched, it seemed that the restlessness and the um, dissatisfaction that we feel with this world is kind of like that awkward, blubbery, ugly seal who's so labored on the earth, so labored on the sands, but then transformed into the sea. I thought, wow, maybe actually this is like a picture of what we will be like in eternity. The things that we really struggle with here on earth that feel awkward and heavy and difficult will be transformed in eternity with Jesus Christ. Perhaps we were made for another world. Perhaps you sometimes wonder and have that question, am I made for something more than this, more than exams, more than uh, the gym, more than uh, just kind of rogue friendships, more than you fill the gap? Am I made for more than this? You see, our culture, the stories and the messages that our culture and industry tell us right here and is that right here and now is all that matters. That this, today and tomorrow, is living. This is it. This is all we have. Um, I don't know if any of you use the hashtag YOLO. Anybody, is that still in circulation? That just dates me, doesn't it? I know, I'm nearly 30, I'm sorry. <laughs> but the industries and the culture around us are telling us these messages to dampen our senses, to blinker us, so that all we do is focus on today and tomorrow, the next day and the next day, and maybe even a couple of years ahead. But what happens if this week we discovered that there is more to life? Perhaps that there is more than life here. Perhaps life somewhere else forever. Maybe we were made for another world. I think lots of us have a kind of comic strip uh, image in our heads, don't we, of heaven that... Um, when we die, we're going to get some fancy wings. They might be a bit fluffy or sparkly. And uh, we're going to go up somewhere. People think heaven is up. Yeah? Yeah, maybe. Um, we're going to go up somewhere. We might live on some clouds. And we might have harps. Anybody play the harp here? It is Winchester. No? <laughs> um, no harp players. Okay, that's fine. Um, I, won't <laughs> I won't make that joke again. Sorry. Um, <laughs> And that maybe we'll um, drink Red Bull and uh, we'll all fly around and have a happy time. Or maybe even we might sing worship songs 24-7. Anybody have that in their picture of heaven? Yeah, we might just be singing all the time. Quite possible. I think also um, maybe we think of like Toy Story um, where the, uh, the aliens um, are like powering the claw the claw and we come down and it kind of grabs us and going to heaven might be just kind of picked out and taken up but all this comes from greek philosophy it comes from plato it comes from dualist thinking um, which some of you might be really interested in but it swayed uh, the um, early 
uh, early Christians, really, and that's how we've come to have this kind of quite comic strip understanding of heaven escaping from here and now, the material, into the immaterial world, into a spiritual world. But believing that kind of understanding of heaven has robbed us of our glorious ending. Eternity is not about evacuation, folks. It's not about us being picked out and taken somewhere else. It is all about restoration. So I want us to look at the book of Revelation this evening. If you've got a Bible with you, flick it open. Uh, Revelation is the very last book of the Bible. So it's easy to find. Go to the back and uh, go forward a bit. No, backwards a bit. I don't know. Um, And we're in uh, Revelation chapter 21. So the penultimate chapter. If anywhere is going to tell us what eternity looks like, it's going to be the end chapter of the Bible right here. Start utilizing this. So our reading is Revelation 21, 1 to 7. Everyone kind of there? Nod at me if if you're there. Revelation 21, 1 to 7. Yeah, we're there. Great. Okay. Here we go. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husbands. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Amen. So the dude, the dude who's writing all of this down is called John. The whole of Revelation, this last uh, chapter of the Bible, is a vision that God gives to John about what the end of the world is going to be like. Uh, It's a vision that's supposed to bring hope, it's supposed to bring comfort, and it's also supposed to bring challenge. All of those things, hope, comfort, challenge, to the seven churches that this uh, letter is written to, but also to Christians also to Christians who uh, have been reading the Bible ever since. God has given John a series of messages then to tell us what the ending holds. And now at the end of the end, right at the end of the last book of the Bible, the enormous battle with evil has been won. 
the Son of Man, who is Jesus, has triumphed over the beast of evil. And God sits down and says, Behold, I am making all things new. Now, in the great Greek language, we've got two uh, words for new. They're going to come up uh, here on the screen. We've got uh, neos, which means brand new, like you get a brand new pair of trainers. Um, or uh, kainos, which means restored to former glory. The word that is used here when God says, behold, I am making all things new, is kainos which is to say God is saying, I'm going to restore everything to how it was in the beginning. Going to restore everything to how it was in the beginning. What was in the beginning? The Garden of Eden. So just briefly, we're going to look at the symmetries between Genesis 1, the Garden of Eden, and Revelation 21, and what God is promising when he says he's going to make all things new. We're going to go fast. I hope you're ready. Are you ready? Are you ready to go fast? Yeah? If you're writing, it's, it's going to go fast. Okay, cool. So in Genesis 3, God walks with Adam and Eve in the garden. There's intimacy, there's relationship, there's familiarity, and there's closeness, just like in Revelation 21, where God says he is going to be with his people forever. Verse 4 says that they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And that's like a direct mirror of what is what we're told in Genesis, where God says, let us, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right there at the beginning of creation, let us make humans in our own image. And so in the Garden of Eden, God gives the humans a mandate, a job to do, to multiply all of creation, to be fruitful, to grow it to multiply it, to rule over it. And Revelation tells us that together with God, we're going to reign over creation again. We're going to reign forever and ever. We've got this symmetry then, can you see, of our identity, of what we were given in Genesis and what's going to be restored in Revelation. What, we've been, what we were told to do, what we were given as our job to do in Genesis is going to be restored in Revelation. All the potential of Eden, everything that God made and said was, was good, all of that that is measured and built with gold. Genesis says uh, in Genesis 2, 12, that the land, there was gold in the land and it was good. Imagine that, that, that God made every mineral, every tiny detail of this of this world that we live in, God made that in the beginning. And it's his joy and his will that he is gonna re he's gonna restore that at the end of time. And so in Genesis in Revelation 21, we hear about all the jewels that are gonna be part of this new creation, this new city where we're going to live and reign with God forever. There's going to be gold. It's going to be pure glass. There's going to be rubies and amethysts um, and all kinds. We'll go into that as we uh, go through. 
So if the end that we're living for, if the end that we're destined for is like the good beginning that we had right at the very uh, year naught with God, what can we learn then about how to live now? The story of creation, our origin and our inspiration is a poem, isn't it? As we read through Genesis, it's not a timeline really, although it does give us like numbered days. Really, it's a poem, isn't it? There's beautiful symmetries as we read it. It's a, it's a poem of pattern and intentionality, and it's been crafted. But why is it being crafted? Because God is a craftsman. Because we have been crafted by him. He does the same things over and over. He's a craftsman. So he tells us what he's done in that same creative way that he did it. We didn't come into existence by accidents. God said, let us make humans in our own image. He did it on purpose, folks, to make us. To make us to reflect his glory, to be living statues of him, to be sacred, to reflect his glory, who he is to the rest of the world. Genesis 2.7 tells us that uh, the humans God creates contain God's very breath. God breathed his life into them. You and I have had life breathed into us by God. We come, we were made by the Trinity just as uh, God was um, enjoying making the whole, the whole world, the lights in the sky, the sun and the moon, the land and the sea, the animals, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea. And God says just as he's on an absolute roll, just as he's at the peak of his workmanship, just as he's, he's having a great, great time, he says, yes, let's make humans now. He does it out of so much joy, out of so much love, and he breathes his breath. That's the most intimate thing, right? You can give someone your breath. He gives us his breath, all of his creativity overflowing and brimming over all potential and beauty and influence. And as he puts the finishing touches on the humans as he blesses us he says that stuff was good but this this is very good that stuff was good but this these these humans that i've made that reflect me they are they are very good and so when the old testament was translated into new testament greek so that the new Christians could read all of that story of God's creation. The translators use uh, this word, eulogeo, for talking about God blessing the humans. Eulogeo, what does that sound a bit like? Sounds a bit like eulogy, doesn't it? If you and I go to a funeral, we often hear a eulogy or a tribute. It's uh, maybe another member of the family stands up and gives a tribute to, that, to the person who's died, their life, 
tells you all about them, what they love doing, um, perhaps a little bit of their career, about their family. Gives a testimony to everyone who's there of how, generally, how amazing this person was. We do that at the end of people's lives. But here, the New Testament Greek tells us, Eulogeo was right at the beginning of our story. God gives a eulogy, a testimony, a tribute to us right at the beginning before we have done anything. God, God gives us uh, a, a good, uh, he says very good, doesn't he? He's proud. He's, he loves us. I'm not going to wait to the end of the story to give a eulogy about you. From the very beginning, from the foundation of the universe, I want the humans to know that no matter what happens, no matter what they do, I love them. And so you and I, right from the beginning, we come from blessing. We come from celebration. We come from intimacy. We come from creativity. We come from abundance. We come from joy. We come from goodness. And when the world is crying out in pain and is broken and is hurting, all that stuff that we see all around us is crying out to know what is going to happen in the end. Is there any hope? You and I come from blessing. We come from a good beginning. We come from intimacy and creativity and abundance and goodness. And we know that it's going to be all right in the end. Because our good beginning in Genesis tells us about our glorious ending in Revelation 21. Perhaps you and I tonight also need to hear this good story, this good beginning and this glorious ending. Perhaps you and I tonight need to know that it's going to be all right in the end. We live with this kind of like meta-modern notion of independence, of uh, self-definition, that we can be whoever we want to be, that we can construct life for ourselves, and that is the ultimate freedom. That's what the world around us tells us, isn't it? It's the ultimate freedom to construct your own life, to write your own life. I can be whoever I want to be. That we can decide. We can choose who we are. The freedom to write our own story. You've been waiting to know where my giant banana pen was going to come in handy. This is it. You know that it's a pencil, don't you? Look at it. It looks like a pencil. It is an inflatable banana, um, but it's really hard to find inflatable pencils online. Um, so I decided to order an inflatable pencil, uh, inflatable banana, and I'd make it into a pencil. Actually, my husband made it into a pencil last night. How cute is that? Yeah, I know. Um, so my inflatable banana pencil. We're told, aren't we, that it's the ultimate freedom uh, to write our own story, to um, construct who we want to be. But this ultimate freedom, this um, age of uh, self-definition has collided also, perhaps unsurprisingly, 
with an age of anxiety. I'm not talking about anxiety that um, rightly um, needs medical support and medication. I'm talking about a deep anxiety, a kind of deep angst in each of us, a fear. Me? I'm supposed to write my story? Really? Can I really do? How do I know what to decide or what to choose? And when we're opened up to that freedom, I don't know if you're anything like me, but that fills me with fear. What happens if I get it wrong? What happens if I choose things for myself that aren't right? What happens if I mess up? What happens if um, things happen in the world around me that mean I can't be the person that I want to be? What happens if um, I need help with writing my own story? Suddenly, freedom doesn't look like freedom anymore. How will my life be meaningful? What happens if I mess up? What happens if I take the wrong subjects or I miss my grades? What happens if I choose something for myself which is wrong? There's no redemption if we're the ones holding the pen. We get kind of paralyzed. I wrote this mess. How do I write myself out of it? How do I write it better? The pen feels too big to handle. The pressure the stress of writing our own stories of our own plans is overwhelming. How could we possibly know what's best? The good news is we can turn the pen, giant banana, inflatable pencil, over to God. We can hand over the story of our lives to God and ask him to write it for us. My story finds meaning in your story. God, would you be the author and perfecter of my life? My story finds meaning in your story. The story that has a good beginning and has a glorious ending. My story will find meaning in your story. Would you, God, creator, creative, abundant, God who gave his breath to me you be the author and perfecter of my life and perhaps um, tonight some of us feel that pressure to write our own story and to write it perfectly and already perhaps some of us are feeling overwhelmed by the decisions that are ahead of us and the chaos of the world around us God says you can hand the pen over to me and I'll write it I'll write it it's a beautiful story it's got a good beginning it's got a glorious ending the giant overwhelming ridiculous pen that the world throws at us it's ridiculous look at it it's a banana it's a pencil stupid is <laughs> manageable for God he's big enough to do it he can take it. We're coming into land, but I want to tell you one more thing about this beautiful story that God says he wants to write us into. How do we know? How can we be really sure that there is going to be a glorious ending? Even if we uh, 
trust and believe in our good beginning, how can we be sure that there's going to be a glorious ending? Where is the proof? I've got a, an anniversary card here on the screen. Click on, yeah. Here we go. This is from my husband, Joe. We usually go for like stupid or jokey cards. In fact, there was one card that had minions on it, which actually made me feel sick. But anyway, um, we normally go for jokey or stupid cards. Um, I had to, ha uh, but this one obviously isn't stupid and jokey. It's actually really deep, isn't it? If you can't see the screen, it says, I would definitely marry you again. That's cute, right? I'd definitely marry, Joe and I have been married now for nearly three years. Um, and he gave me this on our second anniversary. You know what, um, after, I, I'd actually had to pretend that it was a surprise as I opened it because I'd seen him choose it in the supermarket and him put it in with the rest of the shopping, but it's fine, it's cool. Um, we're over it, that's marriage. Um, but um, when, I, uh, when I opened it, it actually blew me away. It actually took my breath away because two years in, Joe's living with me 24-7. Now, what you might find out this week about me is that actually I can be a bit of an idiot sometimes. Um, and uh, sometimes uh, I can be a bit short, I can be a bit grumpy. Um, I can uh, be a bit silly or a bit cheeky. Um, and uh, most of the time, obviously, I'm a complete gift to Joe and he loves being my husband. But sometimes um, I'm probably a real drag. And so I open this card and he says, I would definitely marry you again. And you know what? It's all the assurance. It's all the love that I need to hear. That now he's living with me 24-7. He knows all my ups and downs, all my flaws, all my failures. He knows all my weaknesses. And with that knowledge, he would do it all again. Yes. What a winner. I'm going to keep hold of him. Friends, how do we know that it's all going to be okay in the end? Our proof, the thing we're going to hold on to this week as we think about eternity and our good beginning and our glorious ending is that God has done it all again. He's done it all already and he's going to do it all again. I'm totally messed up that crucial bit. Our proof is that God has done it before and he wants to do it all over again. God has broken the power of evil and death before. He's done it so much that he's sorted it out already. We know that we will come and live, that God will come and that we will live and he will walk with us because he's done it before. We know that there will be a tree, like Revelation says, which will, from which will come healing and reconciliation for all the nations because God has done it before and he's going to make a new garden of joy and renewal where I, our identity in him is going to be found and restored why because he's done it before when did he do it not just in that good beginning not just with the tree of life but he did it before in Jesus Christ and guess what he's going to do it all again we have Jesus as our seal, as our promise. There was no pun there intended, but it, but it was a tie back to the beginning, the seal. Yeah, 
Okay, it's slow, isn't it? It's late, fine. You've just had your dinner. That's okay. We'll warm up. The Garden of Eden gives way to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus wept and he pledged his life to God with every fiber. Uh, He was uh, nailed to a tree, the fiber of a tree, and left to die. And when the whole sky went dark, we sang earlier with Jack and the bands. The whole sky went dark and Jesus, the Son of God, who was perfectly human, but also fully God, paid the debt of our sin and shame forever. And Jesus died hanging on that cross, clinging in one hand to God the Father, who's completely perfect and holy and beautiful and with us in the beginning. And in the other hand, Jesus holding on to you and me, determined that we would never be separated. And that's how he dies, holding on to these these two kind of parties, God on one side and us on the other. And Jesus pulled, stretched out. Because he refuses, I will not let these two be separated ever again. That's what Jesus does on the cross for you and I. He dies so that we could be connected to God. Jesus dies hanging on the cross, clinging to us. The wounds from that tree would bring reconciliation and healing in Jesus' name. And then the Garden of Gethsemane gives way to the hillsides of the cross. And it seems like a cruel and hopeless ending of a, of a, of a hopeful story until we find ourselves wondering again if there's anything more to life than this. Wondering perhaps with Mary asking that same question. Wondering to the garden tomb only to meet the very person we never expected to see again, Jesus Christ, who's alive and walking and talking and eating with his people again. And in that beautiful account of John 20, which I encourage you to go and read before you go to sleep, Jesus calls her name. That's how she recognizes Jesus. He says, Mary. And her whole identity, she's found again. She knows who she is again. She knows what she's living for all over again. He's done it before, folks. And he's going to do it again. We have Jesus as the sign and the seal and the promise from our good beginning to our glorious ending. Because in the middle, there is a God who suffers, who comes down and meets us where we're at, when we're overwhelmed, holding the pen. The God comes down to meet us so that we can live with him again. This is the beautiful story that we need to hear and that our world needs to hear, that you and I need to hear. The story that we live in is the story that we're going to live out. And so our glorious ending of renewal and reconciliation starts now with Jesus. Amen.
going to uh, pray now and then hand over to Finn. Would you like to stand with me?